0: Welcome to the Celebration Church Tri-Cities Podcast. We are so grateful that you have chosen to spend part of your day with us. We are praying that God speaks to you through this message from our pastor, Robert Russell. For more information about our church, visit cctri.org. Enjoy the message. Lord, you are our provider in every way. From every breath we take, to all the needs of life. I believe you delight in providing for each one of us who calls upon your name. I pray for any person here today who is struggling, wondering if you are the provider, that you would make it clear to them that you love to meet our needs because you are a good father. I pray that you would speak to each of us today, speak to the children, that your Holy Spirit would be very strong here. And that no spirit of Satan would have any authority. Just ask for your blessings in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week, or in the last couple of weeks, we've been in this series entitled Belong Again. Whereas a year ago, we were talking about beginning again in light of all that's taken place over the last few years with COVID. One of the things that seems to have happened is that a lot of us have become disconnected. Maybe not intentionally, maybe not something we planned, but not as connected with other people for whatever reason. And so we're talking about really the calling of God to always be in belonging with others. That it is a very healthy thing for every person to have multiple levels or areas of relationships whether that be in your immediate family, your extended family, in your work setting, in your church, maybe in your recreational setting, to have many places where you belong. Places where if you don't show up, people are concerned. We need to check on them. You see, because really part of the health of this life is coming from relationship. I mentioned in the first week of the study that that those who are very alone in research studies tend to be people who have greater emotional and physical problems. And it's a healthy thing for all of us to be connected with others. And what we were talking about last week was this idea of belonging in connection to the goodness of God. In Psalm 37, or 34, it says, this man called and the Lord heard him and he saved him out of all of his troubles. That scripture goes on to say, taste and see that the Lord is good. I said last week, it doesn't say test and see. To test and see is to just sort of stick your foot in the water slightly and see if there's something good that comes from it. A lot of people do that. They'll, They'll be involved in the church for a little while or they'll pray for a little while expecting God to do something for them in the immediate moment. Rather than tasting, stepping in fully, and walking with him to see that he's good for a lifetime. And that scripture goes on to say that those who fear him will lack nothing. That those who seek him will lack no good thing. And when it comes to relationships, that's true. God will take the isolated, the broken, and put them in places where they find healing and wholeness. I think of my own life and know that he did that for me. When I first became a Christian, I was really a pretty isolated, lonely person. And then gradually, over time, he put me in connection with a lot of people. It's just kept expanding and expanding and expanding. And it's been really one of the greatest blessings of life, all the different relationships that he's given over the years. Now, I said, though, we were talking about belonging again because we can become disconnected, sometimes unintentionally. And I was thinking about this. The first friend I ever made when I moved to Kingsport became a really good friend. And I made friends with him simply by playing racquetball at the local racquetball club. And then I'd been here for a while, a few months, and somebody had invited me to go to BSF, Bible Study Fellowship. I know many of you have done that. And I walked in that night, and about the first person I saw was this gentleman that I'd made friends with playing racquetball. I didn't know he was a Christian up to that point, although I could have speculated that. I mean, certainly everything about his demeanor indicated it. And we became very, very close friends, as well as his wife and my wife and so forth. And for years, it seemed like we were always spending time with one another, but in recent years, not so much. You know how life goes. You go in different paths, different things. Your families are doing different things, and you're just not as connected as you once were. And I have to be intentional about from time to time, just calling and see if there's something they'd like to do. And see, maybe that's where you are in some relational form. You're just somewhere where you're not as connected as you were and you need to be intentional about it. Now, the good thing about God, though, is he'll give you wisdom and encouragement about that. And the scripture we looked at last week in Psalm 68 says that he is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, that he sets the lonely in families... I said you can live alone and not be lonely because God will give you many different places to be connected. I've known lots of people who live alone but they are not lonely. They're very connected with others. And you see, this is the nature of God, that he's a father to the fatherless. I've seen this countless times where someone who didn't really have a biological father that invested in their lives but God gave them someone else to serve in that role and he's a defender of widows. I take that very, very seriously, and you should too. I think it angers God greatly when someone takes advantage of a widow. And whenever you know someone who is a widow, that you would go out of your way to help them, to encourage them, to provide for them. Do whatever you can do that would be a blessing to them in a special way. But you see, when God uses you to do that, to bless someone in that situation, he's revealing his goodness through you. I said last week that the goodness of God, it really reflects the fact that he continually wants to pour out his love upon you, that his focus is not selfish like ours. When we look at and encourage other people and take care of them with unconditional love, without a selfish motive, that reflects the goodness of God. And goodness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So God wants that to come about in your life continually to bless other people. Now this week where I wanna go is to talk about belonging again in the context of belonging to Jesus. And of course there's an obvious question here. Do you belong to him? Now really there's sort of a few different facets of how you could think of that. You could think of belonging to him as in having salvation but you could belong to him in that way and not really belong to him fully if you're living your life very separate from his direction, his command, his his blessing in your life. And I really think a lot of people in American culture don't understand what it means to belong to Jesus. In fact, if you had asked me when I was 17 years old, do you belong to Jesus? I could not have answered the question. It would have been confusing. I would have thought you were one of those religious kookumatics. I couldn't really know what you were saying. And then, if you had asked me if I belonged to Jesus when I first became a Christian, I probably would have said, I think so, but I wasn't sure. And really, it's taken a long time to understand what that means at a much different level. And I think one of the reasons that it's hard for many people to understand is because of how the church functions in this country, and I've seen it in other countries in, as well, maybe not in all countries, but, but very much, I think the church functions on an Old Testament model. And I've said that before and I want to explore it in more depth today. In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul wrote there that now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Now, sort of like asking me the question of do you belong to God before I knew Christ, if you had read that scripture to me and said, what does that mean, I would not have known. Since it says a lot of things about law, I probably would have thought about civil law and punishments for doing criminal acts and things like that. But see, look what what Paul is saying. He says, those who are under the law, that's who he's talking to, that they are accountable to God. And that it is through the law that we become conscious to sin rather than that we somehow become righteous. Now, the law is what? It's the moral law of God written down in the Old Testament for us through the people of Israel, through Moses. And it has primarily at its, at its core the, the moral standards which are the Ten Commandments, and all of the other scriptures in the Old Testament, like in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and so forth, that basically are interpretations of the moral law. Like where the commandment says do not not commit adultery, then in other parts of the scripture it talks about all the different types of sexual, sexual sin that we are not to commit, even though the crazy culture today thinks they're all okay. In fact, you can indulge in what the crazy culture today is doing, And it will only lead to destruction. At the moral law of God is there as a blessing and protection. It is not arbitrary, it emanates from the character of God because He is pure, holy, and righteous. He's saying to first the Israelites and then to all of us, You are to be likewise. But now God gave the law to the people of Israel not in order that they would become righteous. In other words, he didn't say, here's the standard, now live up to it. If you live up to it, then you will be my people. Instead, he said what? I will be your people. And I mean, I will be your God. You will be my people. And then he says, these are the standards of people who follow me. Now, interestingly enough, though, when he gave Moses the law, he also gave him what? The penalties for violating the law. And the actions that you must take in terms of sacrifices for having violated the law. So when he gave the law, he knew good and well. That is, God knew good and well that what? People were going to violate it. The law was not given in order for someone to earn righteousness. It was given, as the scripture says here, that we would become conscious of sin. That it would expose sin. But now the way the Old Testament operated was what? The way the people of Israel in the Old Testament days operated was that God gave them the law. He selected out one tribe, the tribe of Levi, that they would be the priest. And the priest would have specific responsibilities. They would carry out the practices that God set forth, that they would carry out the sacrifices on a regular basis. And they would be the go-between, you might say, between God and the rest of the people. If you were an Israelite in those days, you would have known the law more than likely, at least in the early days. Eventually, as the generations passed, people weren't so familiar with the law. In fact, even the book of the law was lost. At one point, when it was brought out and read, people were amazed because it had been so long since they had heard it read. But If you had known the law, you would have tried to live to that standard, but also been aware that you failed. But you knew also that because you failed, you had to bring a sacrifice. You would bring it first to the tabernacle. Later, when the temples were built, you would bring it to the temple. And really, to be a priest in those days was a difficult job because people would bring thousands of sacrifices, animals of all types, of different types, to be sacrificed, and then you as the priest had to do that. It was a bloody difficult job. And then once a year, the high priest would go into the place called the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest could go. And there was a concern the high priest may not come back out. But you see, the average person couldn't go there. And see, this is why I say that the church operates on an Old Testament model that we tend to think that there are a few people, a select group, the priest, the pastor, who has a special connection to God, and then everybody else, we are to just do our little religious thing to try to make God happy. In fact, the sacrifices of the modern church are what? I should make that a test question. The sacrifices of the modern church Or that you will do penance by going and suffering through a teaching once a week for about an hour. And it used to be that if it was longer than an hour, then you were done. Your sacrifice was over. That you would give begrudgingly some amount of your money. And I'm talking not necessarily for you in your heart, but I'm just in general. A lot of people give begrudgingly because they feel like they have to. It's a duty. And you would serve in some areas a few things, doing something, because you thought if I make those few sacrifices, then God will be satisfied. That I can go and live my life any way I want to, but if I do a few religious things, I can keep him from being angry at me and my life will be okay. And it's the job of those pastors and priests and those other people who do religious things, they're the ones who are to really connect with God and see what's going on in the religious realm. And I'm convinced many, many, many people have lived life thinking... I've got to do something in that religious area because there might be a God, and if I die, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven, but I'm not sure what to do. In fact, I know a gentleman who, he grew up Catholic, but he could have grown up Protestant and done the exact same thing. He grew up Catholic, did the right things. I mean, he was doing what he was told to do for many years, was a regular at Mass, And yet, he did not know Christ. Now, in those years when he didn't know, I I asked him this question, well, what would you have thought if somebody had said to you that you really don't know him, you need a personal relationship with him? He said, I would have just thought they didn't know what they're talking about. That I did the right things, they're just off in la-la land. And then he had an encounter with Christ, a personal encounter, came to know him and, became, and began to belong to him. You see, previously he just belonged to a church. He didn't belong to Christ. And so that's what I'm saying in this teaching. Do you belong to him? I think there are a lot of people who have belonged to churches who did not belong to Christ who belonged to religious activities but did not belong to Christ. The scripture in Galatians, also written by Paul, he says, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. He says, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law, for clearly no one is justified before God by the law. Now, you see, if you tried the best you could to be a righteous person, how good are you? When Don Sunshine was here doing the evangelism training, he showed this video about Ray Comfort doing an interview on the street. I like to hear these kinds of things. There are others who do this currently who will go out just on the street, ask people about their religious beliefs, things like that. I'm tempted. I like to do that, too. But uh, he was asking this young man, who was probably around 20, his first question was, do you think you'll go to heaven? And the young guy says, yeah, yeah, I think I will. And so he's like, well, why do you think you'll go to heaven? Well, I'm a a pretty good guy. And then Ray Comfort says, have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? And the guy's like, yeah, yeah. He says, have you ever lied? And the young guy, a little bit uncomfortably, says, "Well, well, yeah, everybody has. You know that's an interesting way that people often try to escape. Well, yeah, I've sinned, but everybody else has, so that means we're all okay. No, that means we're all in trouble. And then, then, a comfort asked and said, "Have you ever uh, committed adultery?" And the young man's like, "No, no, I haven't, I haven't." And he said, "Have you ever lusted after a woman?" The guy really was uncomfortable at this point and said, "Well, well, yeah." He said, well, Jesus said that if you've lusted after a woman, it's the same as if you have committed adultery in your mind, so you're an adulterer. The guy's like, well, if you put it that way. He asked him a few other questions, all basically about the law, basically asking the young man, have you abided by the moral law? And the young man could only say no. No. And then he said to him, to the young man, he said, do you think you'll get into heaven? You're an adulterer, a liar, a thief. Do you think you'll get into heaven? He was like, well, maybe not. I believe he then went on to say, well, he explained that Jesus is the sacrifice to cover your sin. Would you like to accept Jesus? I think the young man said, I think I would. You see, really, if you understand the law, we've all failed. Yet in too much of the church setting, we're acting like we're trying to abide by the law. We have this Old Testament model, the priest will take care of it, I'll do a few good things, I'll abide by the law, and I will put on a great facade so nobody knows when I'm failing in the law they can't see inside my mind so they don't they don't know what it's really like up there and you see if you have a view of god that is that model you won't recognize that you belong to him you'll see him as Somebody out there, a powerful force, maybe an old grandpa who's not real active. You hope that he doesn't interfere too much in your life, but when you have a crisis, you want him to interfere in the way that you desire. You know, 80% of Americans pray, but I dare say a lot of them only pray when the crisis comes And that's what I mean about people testing and seeing if God is good rather than tasting. Sometimes they'll pray in a crisis, and if things don't work out the way they're praying, they're done. They've tested. It didn't work. A lot of people say, I've tried that religious thing. It didn't work. Well, of course it didn't. It's not a religious thing. See, the New Testament model is really different. In Hebrews, it says we have a great high priest. Who has gone through the heavens, who is Jesus, the Son of God. Therefore, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. I think this is one of the reasons for the incarnation. Jesus took the form of a man to come into this world so that all of humanity could recognize that he saw, understood, the temptations that you and I see. Yet, he never fell prey to temptation. It says that he has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. In other words, Jesus knows all of the struggles, all of the temptations, all of the sins of your life, yet he sympathizes with you. He understands your weakness. It's like a good parent with a child who's, say, three or four years old, who's trying to do something but really is failing, But the good parent is encouraging them because they understand their weakness and they're developing them and helping them to understand. It's like when my oldest son, David, was about three. I built this porch onto the back of our house and he wanted to help me every day. And it was fun. We had a great time. Had this little plastic hammer. Had a little gray top, red handle. I remember that thing clearly. I still have it somewhere. He'd come out there, and I'd be hammering in something. He'd come and hammer with his little plastic hammer. Well, he couldn't drive nails with the plastic hammer. But I understood his weakness and encouraged him in his weakness. See, that's sort of the way God is with us. He understands sometimes we're doing the best we can with a plastic hammer. He's the one who's got to do the work for us. See, he understands who we are. Then Corinthians says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? That is, if you accepted Christ, if you belong to him, the Spirit of God, who is God, comes to dwell within you, the Holy Spirit, and you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Do you realize the price Jesus paid for you is immeasurable? It's infinite. In other words, the most expensive things sold in the world. I don't know what that is. Maybe some ancient painting or maybe some yacht or whatever it is. The most expensive things sold in the world, somebody puts a price on it. But who could put a price on the life of God himself? The most valuable thing in all of history was God himself taking the form of a man and then willingly dying, shedding his blood, his blood of infinite value, that he would be the propitiation, the covering for our sin, that you were bought at a price and you were not your own. In some ways, you never were your own. Because you didn't create yourself. God created you, but he gave you a capacity of freedom to make choices, a will, a will to reject him or walk with him. And so, when he bought you, when he paid the price, he said, then willingly, I make this purchase, will you accept it? And if you have, then you belong to him. He won't leave you. He won't forsake you. He'll be with you now and forevermore. See, now, like, I hear the voice of God speak to me from time to time. But can you imagine in heaven you're going to hear the voice of God speak to you perfectly all of the time? There'll be no interference. None of the distractions of a sinful world. It'll be a perfect world. And every person who's there in heaven will have willingly gone there because they were purchased at the price of Christ. The older you get, the more you realize that the days of this world are limited. The price paid is the most important thing. That he is the one who loves us perfectly. But even better than that, in John... He's speaking to the disciples. He says, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Now, don't misunderstand that scripture. You got to take that in the context of all of scripture. He's not saying, if you obey my commands, you earn my love. That is not what he's saying. He's saying, I love you perfectly. If you walk in my will, you will enjoy my love. You will remain in my love. But if you disobey my commands, walk outside of my will, you will not enjoy my love. I've said this before, that you see, when you honor God, seek to do his will, live a righteous life, what you do is set yourself up to receive the blessings and goodness of God. But when you rebel against God, even though he wants to bless you, he can't bless you in the midst of your rebellion, and so you inevitably are rejecting his favor, his goodness, his love. This is why he's saying, "If you obey my commands, if you walk in my will, you are going to enjoy my love. you're going to remain in my love." And he said, "My command is this: that you love each other as I have loved you, greater love has no one than that he would lay down his life for his friends. But here's the part that's really staggering. He says, "You are my friends. If you do what I command. Again, not that you're earning friendship with God by doing what he commands. That's not it. No, a friend demonstrates their friendship by their actions. You have friends that have been faithful and true for many, many years. You could trust them. They've demonstrated their friendship by their actions. You've probably also had a friend or two who were like Judas, who pretended to be a friend only to get something, and when it didn't work, they moved on. He says, I I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. Now, if you had asked me, when I was a brand new Christian, are you a friend of God? I would have surely said, no, I'm a sinner. And I've encountered God, or something like that. If you would asked me a few years later, are you a friend of God, I would have said, no, I'm a follower, trying to understand. If you'd asked me a few years later, are you a friend of God? I would have said, no. I'm a servant of God, trying to serve him. It took a long time to really embrace the idea that I am his friend. You see, this is why I started out with the Old Testament model. If you you think about God and church in an Old Testament model, you will not recognize that You are his friend. But if you know him personally, you walk with him, you hear his voice, he guides you, he directs you, he gives you the blessings of life, the joys of opportunities to serve him, even through the hardships that he's with you in all things, you realize, I am his friend. That he treats me as his son or you as his daughter that you are his friend. Not somebody obligated to a religious duty, not somebody obligated to serve as a slave, because the word translated as servant in many places in scripture could just as easily be translated as slave. But he bought you at a price. He empathizes with you, sympathizes with your weaknesses. He knows you fail. He knows you say things or think things or sometimes do things that you would rather not do. Even the Apostle Paul said, I do what I do not want to do even though I do not want to do it. That's the battle of the sinful nature of man right there. The good thing is the longer you walk with him, the closer you get to him, the more you do what you want to do because he gives you the ability to do it. Not in your own strength. And he calls you friend. So in asking, do you belong to God? I'm not asking just, do you belong to him in salvation? Do you realize that he owns you? That he bought you at a price? And you're his friend. It's like, my wife and I, have entered into this relationship now for decades whereby we are committed where there is this relationship that has grown and grown and grown. We are best of friends. I depend upon her. I trust her. She belongs to me. I don't own her, but I belong to her. It's the mutual submission thing. That's what goes on in the relationship between each of us and Christ. That's why the church is his bride. It's mutual submission. You see, Christ's submission was to what? To the cross. Your submission is to him, his authority, his majesty, his power, his deliverance, his healing, his wholeness, his goodness. But in that submission is friendship. That's why he says submit to one another. So are you his friend? Do you belong to him? Some here would say yes, absolutely, I know it. Some would say I'm not sure. Some would say, probably not. Well, if you're in the category of not knowing, it actually is a pretty simple process for that to change. It's not a religious matter. It's you in humility coming before God, broken, and saying, Lord, forgive me. Almost like Jesus said about those who were crucifying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. You coming before him saying, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. I need help. Will you come into my life? Will you forgive me of my sin? Will you make me a new person? Give me new hope, new life. Any person who humbly prays that prayer, you can be absolutely certain he will answer. It looks different for different people. Some people have a major emotional experience when they first encounter Christ. Some people don't. But if you encounter him and walk with him, you'll eventually begin to see he's real, he's true. Those who seek him find him, and you are his friend. And for the days that he has appointed for you to live in this world, he's going to treat you as a friend. He's going to bless you a lot of ways, but he's also to give you, give you opportunities, entrust things to you. You see, you, the ones you trust the most, your best friends, those are the ones you call upon at critical times. Well, God calls upon his best friends sometimes and says, here, I have a job for you. may not be easy but it'll be good. Let's pray. Lord, I do pray that you would forgive us for our pride, for trying to do religious things that don't impress you, That you would accept each one of us in our brokenness. For any person here who does not know you, that this day would be the day of salvation for them. For any person watching online or listening on radio, Lord, that you would speak to their hearts, that they would call upon your name and they would be saved. Scripture says, be still and know that I am God. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast and that it blessed you in some way. Don't forget to visit our website at cctri.org. And make sure that you send us your prayer requests at office at cctri.org. We pray that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him.